This is Garden Variety, a horticulture podcast from Iowa Public Radio and Iowa State University Extension and Outreach. I'm Charity Nebbe. So many things about springtime are highly anticipated. The world turning green, flowers blooming, birds singing, pollinators getting busy. But along with all of that good stuff, there are a few things that are less welcome. For example, it is now officially tick season. Zach Shum is an entomologist with the Iowa State University Plant and Insect Diagnostic Clinic, and he's here to tell us all about ticks. Hello, Zach. Good morning. How are you? Good. My skin is already crawling, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Not my usually. I get excited for tick season for the first few weeks, and then and then I get sick of it, too. And then, so. <laughs> and then you're over it. All right. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about ticks. I mean, uh, I think a lot of us know that they um, are parasites that suck our blood, and they like to suck the blood of, of dogs and other animals as well. But tell me a little bit more about them, because they're, they're a very common species. Yeah, so ticks are, there are actually over 12 species of ticks that you can actually find in the state of Iowa, and many more that you can find throughout the U.S. and throughout the world, certainly, as well. Uh, so they are types of arachnids that just happen to feed on blood, at least. Um, that's that's the vast majority of them feed on blood of humans, of other animals. Um, you know, it can be birds, it can be small mammals, rodents, it can be anything. So they're just like little blood-feeding parasites that we tend to not like very much. And uh, tell me how tick season is going from your perspective so far. I know that we all live in these sort of microcosms. I'm having a, a good tick season in that I've only seen a few so far. But what kinds of reports are you getting? Now, you're probably lucky because this seems like it's going to be a pretty good tick year for Iowa. So I, I just moved to Iowa in October, so I haven't really been here for a full tick season. But I've heard from several people uh, you know, several entomologists and just the public as well, that they've been seeing a lot more ticks this year than in past years. And that could be due to the, you know, the moisture. It can be due to temperatures during the winter, uh, lots of different factors. So it's it's been interesting for me because I grew up in Maryland where ticks were very common. And then I did a lot of, uh, I, I moved out to Utah for graduate school and did some work out there in pest diagnostics, uh, just like I'm doing here in Iowa. And I never got one tick the entire six years I lived out in, in Utah. So um, it's kind of interesting getting back into a place that has ticks. Um, so it seems like it's going to be a good year, but, you know, ticks are present here in Iowa every year, but this year may be a little bit better from what I've noticed so far. What are the most common tick species in the state? Yeah, so there's three. Uh, the, by far the most common is likely the American dog tick. So um, those numbers, we, we actually are expecting most of them to be out and about around this time. It was a little bit cooler uh, for the early part of the spring, uh, so that might be delayed a little bit, but we expect the most numbers of American dog ticks sort of in that May to June time frame. Uh, the other two common ticks that, um, and this is all based on the tick surveillance program that Iowa State ran from the uh, 1990 until 2015. Uh, the two other most common ticks we see are the black-legged tick, so those are also called the deer tick. And then the third one would be the Lone Star tick, which is, uh, you know, a really hot topic right now, too. Yeah. And of course, the, the deer tick is also a hot topic because deer ticks are the ticks that carry Lyme disease, right? That's correct. Yeah. So they carry actually a bacteria that causes Lyme disease, which is a, a common misconception. So they, they carry a bacteria that they transmit in humans that then causes Lyme disease. Correct. So a, a lot of people, when they do encounter a tick, get really worried because we've heard a lot about Lyme disease. Um, how do you identify what kind of tick you have? Yeah, so that's actually part of the reason why my job exists. So I'm the insect diagnostician, which sort of also includes, we, we include arachnids and ticks and other types of arthropods as well, so insect relatives. 
Uh, so we always recommend just getting your tick identified if possible. So you can send pictures to the Plant and Insect Diagnostic Clinic at Iowa State University. Uh, oftentimes, if you can find a medical uh, entomology lab at different universities throughout the state and throughout the country, they can also offer tick identification services to some extent. But because they're so small and because males and females of each species can look a little bit different and they can look different as they grow, it's often really important to get it identified by a professional entomologist or someone that's trained to do so. After you see enough of them, oftentimes uh, anybody can identify the adults, you know, the largest stage of ticks. But it is good to get an identification from an entomologist if you can. Now, the vast majority of ticks that I've encountered in Iowa in the last 13 years have been dog ticks. How much more common are they than the the deer ticks or the Lone Star ticks? That's actually a great question. So for the tick surveillance program, again, that ran from 1990 to 2015, uh, so the uh, the ticks collected for uh, that that whole period, so 1990 through 2015, so a long period there. There were over um, in May, for example, May alone, there were over 2,500 American dog ticks collected for that surveillance program. Whereas if you go to the peaks for the black legged tick and the Lone Star tick, those are under a thousand for each one of those species. So the difference is quite drastic. Um, so we see many more American dog ticks, but a lot of those disease related concerns tend to come from those black-legged ticks and lone star ticks due to Lyme disease in particular with the black-legged tick. Um, American dog tick does carry, uh, they can transmit Rocky Mountain spotted fever, uh, but it's really not much of a concern in Iowa. So the the concerns still kind of lie with the black-legged tick and lone star tick. And lone star ticks, I mean, you've been talking about this survey that, that took place through 2015. The lone star tick is something that we've been seeing more recently. So do we have a, a, a good handle on how common they are? Uh, and, and these, uh, so in terms of up-to-date numbers, I'm not really sure. That could just be because I just moved to Iowa. Um, and, you know, the tick surveillance program stopped in 2015. But, yeah, we are, there's more and more uh, energy and uh, thought being put into Lone Star ticks because I, we, we, I'm sure we'll discuss it. The red meat allergy that they can transmit is, like, all the rage, I feel. Um, so, yeah, in terms of, like, updated numbers, I'm not sure. But as, you know, as climate shifts and as climate changes, we do expect the range of Lone Star ticks and certainly other ticks to, like, spread further north. Is right now, Lone Star ticks are primarily being found in southern and southeastern Iowa. So we do expect that, expect that to like shift. And as that shifts towards big population centers, we can start hearing about it more then as well. All right. And you mentioned the, the red meat allergy that can be created when you're bitten by a Lone Star tick. I mean, that doesn't, does that happen every time someone gets bitten by one of these ticks? No, not at all. And it's, it's, there's, there's still probably a lot to learn about this. Like, for example, some people that, some people that get bitten develop alpha, that's called, it's called alpha-gal syndrome. Uh, so they transmit essentially a protein that you can find in red meat products, essentially, or, you know, products from mammals. Uh, some people develop different levels of a reaction or different uh, sort of intensities of alpha-gal syndrome. So it's a really interesting, uh, it's not a disease, so it's just kind of an allergic reaction. So it's important to make that distinction as well. So there's still a lot to learn about alpha-gal syndrome, but it's really different for everybody and not all people that get bit by Lone Star ticks develop that allergy either. And let's talk about Lyme disease because that that is more common. But do you get Lyme disease every time you get bitten by a deer tick? No, not at all. Not at all. So um, there's there's a couple of, and we, most of the, the clients that contact us are really concerned about Lyme disease transmission if they just find the tick on a person. Um, so it's really important to note what can actually cause transmission of the bacteria that causes Lyme disease. So you have to be fed on by a tick. Um, typically the females or the nymph ticks, the immature stage, and they have to be engorged or feeding on a person for at least 36 hours or more. 
Uh, so most of the time, if you are really good at doing tick checks and making sure there aren't ticks actively feeding on you, you reduce or remove most of the risk of Lyme disease transmission just by doing that. Um, so, you know, and if obviously you don't have a black-legged or a deer tick on you, then there's really no concern of Lyme disease in the state of Iowa anyway. And not all ticks carry the bacterium that causes Lyme disease as well. So there's a lot of factors that actually have to go into play for Lyme disease to actually be transmitted to a human. Let's talk about doing a tick check. Give us some advice. What's the best way to do that? Sure. Yeah. So um, one thing you can do is just move to a desert because uh, that's what I did in Utah. <laughs> and I never got one tick and I was walking through weeds and brush like for work basically every day throughout the summer. Uh, but if you're in a state or if you're doing a lot of outdoor activities that do have ticks in general and especially black-legged ticks, um, you so anytime you go out into a place where ticks are in that general region or we can expect ticks in that area, you know, tall plants, grasses, anything like that. Uh, it's just good to make sure you look, uh, you just check your body for ticks. Uh, if it's really early after doing outdoor activities, you can expect the ticks to still be walking because they don't immediately start feeding or generally don't immediately start feeding once they are on you. They'll find a nice protected area on your body to begin feeding. So that can be uh, armpits. It can be in your hair where there's a lot of just, they're kind of protected in there. They, they really like like the waistband of your pants, for example. That's another place that ticks like to hang out. So a lot of people get them on their lower abdomen, right where their waistband of their pants meets their shirt. Uh, so it's really important to check those areas especially, but make sure you just look at your whole body generally for ticks. Um, you know, they are dark in color. So depending on the color of your skin, it's easier to see them or harder to see them. So just be really diligent. Uh, know what colors that ticks are generally, which is you know usually brown to tan to um, sometimes more reddish in color. And just make sure you do a really good check of your entire body for ticks, uh, and especially in those really secluded or protected areas. Definitely do a lot of running your fingers through your hair if you happen to have hair. Um, so what do you do when a tick bites you? Yeah, so the easiest thing to do, I mean, we, we get a lot of, or I see a lot of things, I suppose, where it says sometimes it's really good to like twist, like grab ticks and try to twist them out of your skin. And that's not really a good recommendation. Uh, the best thing you can possibly do is to get a pair of tweezers or something to grab that tick as close as possible to the skin and pull very slowly and firmly outward. Uh, so don't do any twisting. We don't really recommend it. It might work to do that, but we really recommend just grabbing as close to the skin and pulling out slowly and firmly. And that should remove the tick. Uh, sometimes the, the head or the mouth parts can break off uh, and you can that can result in infections if you don't additionally get those mouth parts out. So you might need to seek medical attention to just get mouth parts out if they break off. Um, but usually a slow and firm pull with grabbing the tick as close to your skin as possible does the trick. And if you do need help having that tick identified, what do you do then once you've pulled it off? Sure. So, you know, in the plant and insect diagnostic clinic, part of my job is to identify ticks and samples that come into us. So you can send the plant and insect diagnostic clinic photographs. Uh, if it's hard to identify from photographs, we will just recommend getting a sample sent to the diagnostic clinic. So uh, the plant and insect diagnostic clinic cannot test ticks for if they carry the bacteria or the different bacteria that cause different diseases. We don't do that, but we can identify ticks and that can sort of direct you on how you might want to proceed after that. All right. And we've talked about checking for ticks. When you do go out in an area where you know there are going to be ticks, what kind of precautions do you recommend taking? Yeah, great question. So we do recommend that you wear long pants. Uh, oftentimes wearing Clothing that does not match the color of ticks can be helpful for finding them. So things that aren't brown in color or like really dark. Uh, sometimes like if you go into the greens, the dark sort of brown green colors can be a little bit challenging. So lighter color clothing is generally better if you're trying to do an easier tick check. Um, but you can also um, just make sure you stay away from touching a bunch of 
plant material with your pants or arms as you walk past them too. That can also be helpful. All right. And I, I like to tuck my pants into my socks. How do you feel that, about that? <laughs> that also works. You can also tape your pant legs up. Thanks for bringing that up. Um, you can tape your pant legs up. You can tuck your pants into your socks. Anything to keep them off your skin as they're crawling and questing for a place to feed. That's also very helpful. Zach Shum is an entomologist with the Iowa State University Plant and Insect Diagnostic Clinic. For more gardening information and tips, please subscribe to our Garden Variety newsletter. You can find out more at iowapublicradio.org garden. I'm Charity Nebbe. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Garden Variety is a production of Iowa Public Radio and Iowa State University Extension. It's produced by me, Aaron Style, Caitlin Troutman, and the Iowa Public Radio talk show team. For more garden goodness, please subscribe to our Garden Variety newsletter. Just go to iowapublicradio.org slash garden. I'm Charity Nebbe. See you next time.